Hello there and welcome to episode 16 of the Hawthorne Debate. So my name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. Guys, I want to start today's podcast by being unreasonably melodramatic, if that's okay, because we need to talk about Transfer Deadline Day. Like, why do we do it to ourselves? We tease ourselves into a frenzy with rumours and speculations, constantly hitting refresh on News Now and Alan Nixon's Twitter feed, allowing our imagination brush to paint a picture of a Transfer Deadline Day that would have Jim White frothing at the mouth. You see, I often find myself, I feel like a kid on Christmas Eve wondering what he's going to unwrap on Christmas morning. Will it be a DK or a Rondon or even a cheeky last minute sniff of a Josh Madger? Only to realise that the whole thing is a sham and I've been lied to by people I thought loved me. And the reality is is that the East End car park is only populated by tumbleweed, a ghost town haunted by false links and Twitter in the nose. And all the while... The ghostly whisper of a single question lingers over the entire transfer window. Where has the Pereira money gone? Was that melodramatic enough? To be honest, I've had about 24 hours of decompressing since the window shut, so I do feel a little bit more reasonable today. So let me say instead, thank you for downloading the Hawthorne's Debate Club. Thank you for welcoming us into your lives. Please continue to support us as a podcast by telling people you love and perhaps even people you don't love about the podcast. We are greedy and want more people to listen, and you are our foremost weapon in conquering the podcast universe. So on this week's episode, despite my earlier rant about the transfer window, we have loads to cover, so we'll be moving at quite a speed, I anticipate. We will chat about West Midlands Youth League champions and Galacticus, Arsenal, who came to the Hawthorns to beat up on our under-23s in the Cup, before unpacking a tricky win over Peterborough with last-minute heroics from Semi Ajayi, before finally hitting some news and transfer business. We're going to go a little bit off-piste today and not necessarily do what we usually do, which is to approach the news and the schedule in a chronological order. We're going to approach this slightly differently to our usual brand of discussion. We're going to start off by talking about the game at the weekend against Peterborough. Finished 1-0. Just about with Ajayi popping up and scoring in the last minutes of the game in stoppage time. It was very different to our performances in other games. It seemed to lack a lot of the kind of cutting edge that we'd seen in previous games. It was a bit of a hard graph. Peterborough were well up for it. There was controversies about towels. There was a few decisions that didn't go quite our way. A few chances that we missed. But the whole game felt a little bit more ugly than some of our other exposures to Valball and so consequently I think a lot of people have looked at this game and said that it may have been one of our poorer or if not our poorest performance in the league this season but we're going to have a little bit of a look at that now what did you guys make of the game? So I reckon it was a very tough game. Peterborough, I think they've got a really good home record. And uh, I think it was a bit of an indication of what it could be like when we're playing those lower league teams. 
that will you know, shut up shop, really try and frustrate us, try and waste time, you know, make it really difficult for us. Although it was a very difficult game, after the 90th minute, the game came alive. Again, it was just typical Albion at the moment. You know, they just can't help please us at the moment. Everything they're doing is like magical. A last minute goal, you know, you just can't beat it. It's one of the best feelings in football when it goes your way. One of the worst when it doesn't. Brilliant effort from the lads just to keep going. Good for a joy to take that gamble at the end of the game and put himself in the mixer so he could whack Phillips's cross into the back of the net. Yeah, it was one of those games where while you were watching, it was quite frustrating. And I found myself kind of losing patience towards the end of the game. And it's not so much that I think we weren't doing what we usually do. I think we were trying to do what we have been seeing under Valerian Ishmael, win the ball back high up the pitch, close to the opposition's goal. I just think Peterborough also had a game plan. They weren't a team that necessarily wanted possession of the ball. Consequently, we saw more of the ball than perhaps we have in other games. And this high press that Valerian Ishmael was wants to use kind of almost relies on the other team having possession and because we were the ones who were in control it kind of required us to break them down a little bit I think we did carve out a few clear-cut chances in the game perhaps we weren't as clinical as we have been in other games which leads on to a really interesting question obviously Callum Robinson missed out on this game he was self-isolating due to COVID how much for miss do you think Callum Robinson was in this game I think we missed him to be honest because in the last previous games he's always been that like fox in the box in a weird way, he does hold the ball up a lot more than you think. He's got that skill to lay it off on the wingers. And he's got that skill to lay it back to Alex Moa or Livermore to lay it back out. It lacked that fluidity up top. I suppose that brings us on to Hugo making his debut. Yeah, Hugo came on and I was, like many Albion fans, not too sure what to make of the fact that we'd even signed him to begin with. And I will come on to talk about that a little bit later. But for me, Matty Phillips, who started in kind of the centre of the front three against Peterborough in place of Callum Robinson, as exciting as I've been about Matt Phillips this season, I thought he really struggled in this game. I think he's been one of the revelations under Ishmael. I think his return to form uh, has really suited this way of playing. He's really great. He's really direct. He's got a lot of energy. He's obviously a powerful bloke. You can't take away from the fact that it's his like surging, charging run into the box that also is the reason we get the cross that eventually Semi Ajayi finishes. But when he's in this central position rather than out on the wing, for me, he lacked something as a central striker. I can't remember during this game, and I, I was almost tempted to go back and watch it. I can't remember Matt Phillips winning a contest, an aerial contest, an aerial duel. And I know that is a massive part of Valerian Ishmael's plan winning the ball, aerial duels, and picking up the second ball in midfield, and then advancing it, and whether that brings in the wingers or however that's going to play, which then bleeds onto Jordan Hugel. Now, obviously, I don't think he's as polished a player, technically speaking. And he's obviously not as fast as Matt Phillips, but physically speaking, he was able to compete for these balls, these aerial duels, and he actually won a couple. And I think he would have been disappointed with a couple of chances that he squandered. They weren't easy chances. One, he headed down into the ground. It's a good save. And the second one, he's kind of almost, the ball is drifted all the way to the back post and he gets up to meet the ball. And he's almost like leaning back as he heads it, and it kind of just drifts over the bar 
but he's in the right place to head of the ball and he's also winning the ball he seems to be able to generate that space that quality number nines can so I think for all of my doubt about the Jordan Hugel signing I kind of get why Valerian Ishmael wants a player in Jordan Hugel's mould to be kind of the spearhead of our attack because as much as I love Matt Phillips I don't think he can do that role and I think we desperately missed Callum Robinson last night I think we really lacked an edge what did you make of Jordan Hugel Al? So first impressions I thought he looks like an obviously passionate player. He likes a scrap, likes to bully defenders. And I think when he came on and Phillips went on the, the wing, like Phillips looked a much better player. I think he's, he's a much better winger than he is a striker. And I think that showed with him setting up the goal for a joy. But Hugel, first impression, I don't think he's going to end up in a championship team of the season. But I think he's going to be a very valuable player for us and hopefully unlock the potential of players like Dean Garner, Grant, Robinson playing on the side of him. I think that's why he's been brought in, ultimately. He is going to be the kind of battering ram at the centre of these more technically gifted players who can pick up the scraps and make the most of second balls. I think we obviously have just this absolute abundance of talent of attacking players that can play out wide. I want to give an honourable mention today to Carlin Grant. I thought he's been great again in this game. He constantly, his energy levels, constantly applying the press. He's really good off that left wing. I know occasionally he drifts across into different positions and he'll pop up on the right wing even sometimes more centrally. But I thought he was brilliant again in this game. He had an opportunity. Again, not the most clinical finish. He kind of plays it straight at the keeper and it's pushed onto the post but I thought he was really really good today was anyone else that stood out to either of you guys performance wise so I tag on on that Grant comment you made I think he is better on the wing because we're not expecting him to score all those goals if he's playing a striker we expect him to finish playing on the wing he's there to set up goals maybe cut in and score another goal I think a lot of the pressure's off him because last season when we bought him, he was there to be our striker and now he is a winger. I think that is where he's best at. There's a really lovely moment in this game. Obviously, there was all of this drama around the game. Many clubs have written to the FA or something, allegedly speculating about the legality of Albion depositing towels away from other grounds and people throwing up COVID and various other things. So Darnell Furlong, in his wisdom, decided to improvise at the game. Obviously, we've seen already this season fans giving towels, being responsible for looking after Darnell's towel. But in this game, obviously, minus a towel, in the absence of a towel, one creative individual offered Darnell his hoodie and Sky Cameras captured this little girl who seemed to be in charge of the hoodie. Darnell Furlong froze hoodie. What did you make of the whole hoodie saga? I think it's, it's funny that we're using everything that we can to wipe the bulb, but it was nice to see the little girl who was looking after, if it was her hoodie or looking after a hoodie that we placed there. It was lovely to see her have a moment of fame. I like it. I like the creativity it's bringing to the club. And it almost reminds me, you know, when you're watching WWF and they'd go into the crowd and like someone would stand up and give them their chair and then the wrestler would take the chair and like chair shot the other guy. Alvin are bringing this crowd interactivity, this participation at the games where you can bring garments with you and Darnell Furlong will grace the ball with these furlongs and imbue it with power um, and no doubt some sorcery that takes place underneath all of that to get the ball into the box. Al, please enlighten us. What did you think? 
I, I love it. I think it's brilliant bringing the crowd into, you know, it's, it's, it's making the crowd feel like they can have an impact on the game. And I think that's one of the things that Ishmael has brought to the new Albion ethos is that the crowd and like everyone feels like they can, you know, if they put energy into it, they can get a reward. You know, I just really think it's credit to the players for sort of entertaining, like the use of like somebody's towel or, you know, that somebody can hold my towel or using somebody's hoodie. So it, it makes people feel wanted, you know, and that they are appreciated. And they probably will stamp down on it. Uh, Elf and safety gone mad style. But, you know, it is what it is. It's yeah, brilliant. At next game, I'm going to be throwing a chair to Valerian Ishmael so he can chair shot Darren Ferguson in the middle of it. That's how I'm going to interact. Perhaps that's a great place to go on to the passionate display at the end. Obviously, the goal goes in. Semi Ajayi scores. The crowd go absolutely mental. Everyone's celebrating. Fans are on the pitch. And then there was this video doing the rounds on Instagram from the kind of sidelines where Valerian Ishmael is sprinting down the touchline. Jose Mourinho start to join in with the celebrations. I think it speaks to some of the things that you guys have already been saying today and in other podcasts, just how passionate Valerian Ishmael is. He can't help but let it show. And this video kind of encapsulates that perfectly. Yeah, I totally agree. We haven't had a manager who has that much passion or shows that much passion when we score. I know it's a last-minute goal, which is more passionate with everybody, but that passion we showed and that speed he sprinted down that line was quicker than Zahor has ever moved. First the pace, know, yeah, 99 speed. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I loved it. Brilliant video, and I'm sure it's from a Peterborough friend, wasn't it? So it's lucky that we got that angle of it. It really felt like a moment of bonding for the team, the fans. There was a couple of incidents in this game, a potential penalty to Carlin Grant. I'm not sure of myself if it was a penalty, but it wasn't given anyway. So does it really matter? Probably not. Any other thoughts you'd like to draw out about this game? Darren Ferguson, what a misery. I did enjoy, though, that apparently he was moaning that Ishmael had flicked him the Vs. But then Ishmael was like, in, in the uh, post-match interview on Sky, he was saying, you know, he just meant there were two penalty incidents. But he kept on swearing at the screen, like, as he was saying it <laughs> on Sky. Like, it's going like that, as he was saying. It was brilliant. Just for clarity's sake, for those people listening, Alex was visually demonstrating to me and Joe what Valerian Ishmael was doing. I'd have been like, I'm just giving you the Valerian Ishmael sign, the V. Do you know what I mean? and um, seeing how well he could have made that some kind of part of his character or persona. That yeah, bring it Valerian. into a WWE type of thing. Honestly, Valerian. there were so many aspects of this game that reminded me of WWE, like just the kind of the fan involvement, like we said earlier, but this kind of confrontation at the end and there's pointing and there's like other people holding Valerian Ishmael back and Darren Ferguson. I have to say, just if I was kind of putting money on either one of those two blokes to win that fight, I mean... Big Valley's no joke. He is a big bloke. Uh, I feel like Phil Val could have had him. I think next home match we should have, you know, instead of Vapeless, is it? Who we should have Stone yeah. Cold. He goes. Well, I reckon on on a, on a future episode we should definitely have a look at the players and discuss what entrance music they would come out to. That's not a bad idea. Also, like a Royal Rumble feature, like who would win a Royal Rumble between the Albion squad, and we'll include Valley Schmel in there. We'll just do our schedule around WWE and just put it Albion-based. SummerSlam. WrestleMania around the kind (laughs) of end of the season. I quite like this idea. We're going to now listen to Hawthorne's Debate Club, a West Bromwich Albion slash WWE podcast. Let's go back in time. Step into the time machine with me now, if you will, boys. This is 
us stepping into a time machine. You can imagine this, listeners, as you're listening to this right now. We're now traveling back in time together several days to, what day was it, Wednesday? When Albion yeah. played Arsenal in the League Cup. The game finished 6-0 and Arsenal were on top of the world. They'd beaten apparently their greatest foes of all time were celebrating like they'd won some wild universal acclaim. They were celebrating, scoring free-flowing football against what realistically amounted to be a weakened under-23 side for the Albion. This game made me laugh so much. I was watching it. Everyone was a bit shocked when we saw the lineup. I think on our preview show we'd said that we fancied us against Arsenal but that quickly went out the window when we saw just how many changes Val made to the squad and so it became abundantly clear that this one was probably going the way of Arsenal but we actually started off reasonably well what do you guys think of this 6-0 I know it upset a lot of people but we don't really have to take it too seriously do we the game was what it was like you said we started out well I think it, the ref was trying to stamp some authority in the first minute when he gave Castro a yellow card it was a bit of a rash challenge but again he's a young player but yeah we had some good chances we had some some of the youngsters showed some promise they were decent and they were up against the first team of Arsenal I'm so shocked when I saw Arsenal's lineup. Aubameyang and then he bought on Lacazette as well it was just ridiculous he started bringing on more players yeah and I just thought this was stupid. I think, apart from that, I don't know if Alex wants to give a bit of an analysis on other players, but yeah, it was just a dead game after the lineups were announced. Yeah, absolutely. Lambs to the slaughter. You're talking about international players against under-23s. It's it's that classic David and Goliath, but this time Goliath just destroyed David. And I suppose it wasn't David, maybe it was his, his predecessor. It's the killer lot. tried to take on... <laughs> Perhaps it was the, the guy before who tried to take on Goliath. So it's a typical Caribou Cup, really, isn't it? I mean, the league's the priority. It would have been nice for a cup run, but it doesn't bother me that much, to be honest, as long as we do well in the league. And I thought it's quite interesting having a look at the youngsters and, you know, see who we've got coming up in the ranks. Anyone catches my eye, I quite like the look of Palmer. Although he conceded six, I thought he was quite unlucky with the second balls and hitting posts and things like that. I thought that Ingram looked quite composed as a right back. He looked like he was quite level-headed, didn't do too much wrong, but kept it very simple game. Castro and Gardner Hickman, they all look like they've got potential, but I don't think they're quite ready yet for the championship. And I think Zahor played his last game for the Albion because he was just, I think he, he hurt his ankle early on and it was almost as if he was using that as an excuse, you know, not trying. Um, he should have just gone down and gone off if it was that bad. Yeah, I think for me, it's never pretty losing 6-0, but of all the 6-0 defeats I've ever seen in my game, this one was like the easiest to swallow. There were so many positives from the game. It was just ludicrous the way Arsenal approached the game. I don't know what Mick Mikel Arteta was trying to prove that somehow beating Albion would be this massive salvation moment for his career at Arsenal. And so he fielded this team. There was a popular statistic going around on social media that Sky even brought up that the estimated value of West Brom side versus Arsenal was £10 million for Albion versus £261 million for the Arsenal lineup. Now, bear in mind that's a whore raise, like £7.5 million of that £10 million. It really does give you kind of a, scale, a sense of scale as to the difference between the two lineups and I just thought it was 
there's one thing beating a team 6-0 who are clearly lower league opposition who are clearly fielding younger players who haven't been exposed to anything like the quality and technical ability of these Arsenal players and then they're seriously we're celebrating like they'd like choreographed celebrations and everyone's the Arsenal fans are going absolutely berserk one player I will quickly mention before you jump in there Joe Mo Fahl, when he came on I thought he looked absolutely brilliant. I was really impressed with him. He looked strong, fast. Every time the ball came to him, he was able to control it. He's able to do almost like a Yakushlu-like ability to just shift the ball from one foot to the other or shift the ball three feet away from his body and just create space. And I feel like he's got a massive amount of potential to be a, a devastating centre forward at some point. Yeah, I just wanted you know you just said that stat about the 10 million versus 261. Funny thing is, you know, you said Zahor was 7 million of that. Nicolas Pepe was 72 million of that, about 30% of that money, which well, is we... ridiculous because he is not worth 72 million. But that's a by the by. I just wanted to make a comment about, I did feel, I saw a load of comments on Twitter and social media about, because we had a good crowd there. And it wasn't very reduced prices. And we put out a side, which was under 23s. I did feel sorry for those people who had paid to go and see that because they didn't know who was going to be paid. We obviously all thought as well that there was going to be a stronger team and was put out. So there is that thing about, do they reduce the ticket prices for these type of cups? So just in case that does happen, I think it's not fair to see 6-0 when, are we taking it seriously? Yeah, Probably not. It- I think fair. it'd be good to get some kind of indication if there is if they are going to play a weakened side prior to the match. But I mean, going into the Carabao Cup against Arsenal, I don't know what Ishmael's done in the past with like Barnsley and other teams, but you kind of know that it's a bit of a gamble if you're buying a ticket for one of these toys. You know, it is a bit of a, a risk that you are going to see a thrashing or a team full of reserves. I kind of agree with you to some yeah, extent. Yeah, it's a gamble. Joe. A bit, a bit of pride warning would have been a lot. Bit, it's a gamble know, if it's our first team against Arsenal. It's not a gamble if you put under 23s against their first team. That's not a gamble. It's always going to be a loss, isn't it? Unless something ridiculous happens, which it's not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things is that cup games against Premier League opposition, it's always going to attract a bit of a crowd. I think obviously it's nice when they do reduce ticket prices to kind of encourage people to come to the games. However, I do also kind of sympathise with the club. They're a business and they're going to try and make money in an uncertain financial climate at the moment. And yeah, it's a bit unfair on those people who did turn up, watch Albion get beaten 6-0. But it's all part of the experience. It's character building, I like to say, especially if you take young kids to watch us get absolutely mauled. It teaches them that not everything in life comes easy. Um, and you can really use Albion as a learning tool in your parenting. So any parents listening to this, just feel free to take our youngsters to watch Albion get absolutely destroyed by Premier League opposition and you are making yourself a better parent and you're raising a better child. Anything else about this game? The goals are good. Mm. Arsenal scored some quality goals, to be fair. One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting is the way we wanted to play. Clearly trying to play the way Valball is set up at all levels of the club now. It shows how hard it is to make it successful because I thought the back three were constantly being pulled out of position at ease by these quality players. And also with Arsenal's 
pace they were able to get in behind and not just be there the players they have with the technical ability to get the ball to them in that space and so many of their opportunities were just they were through on goal essentially and just pouring forward Abamyang got himself a hat trick kept the match ball that is so funny to me that I feel like that's like me going to like an under eights game absolutely dominating and then taking the match ball home with me like I earned this this is mine for the taking I'm like all right mate go on then off you go he's he was lucky with his goals anyway I don't like Obama Young for doing that as well taking the ball yeah I really don't I really don't like Arsenal after that game I was so delighted when Man City absolutely stuffed them this weekend like I've never so actively wanted another team to beat another team Uh, I was really like hoping Man City would just beat up on Arsenal Uh, and thankfully they did because whatever this 6-0 victory was it certainly wasn't enough to paper over the cracks in what was essentially a very very poor Arsenal side they're bottom of the league aren't they at the moment apparently you need to accept cookies before you see them on sub websites because they're so low on the table (laughs) Um, any thoughts on the more experienced veterans that we saw during this game? Snodgrass obviously made an appearance and Adam Reach. I'm going to count over Adam Reach. I don't think he's up to speed on fitness. And he was in a, a team with Sheffield Wednesday last season where they were terrible. That was a hard game for him to be in there. I think he's just out of position. I think he's not getting a good crack at the whip because he's not a wing back. I'm not a huge fan of Reach. I've got to admit. I don't know if it's whenever I'm watching him now, I'm thinking that because I remember your mate Joe mentioned that he pulls out of challenges quite often, and I, every time I watch him now, I see it and I think, yeah, he does. He really does. I don't know. I, I, I'd like to give him like half a season before making like a, a real judgment. It looks as though he's a squad player as well, but I've not been that impressed, I've got to admit. But I hope he does improve and he does get a fair crack of the whip, like you're saying. But um, Snodgrass, on the other hand, he just oozes class for me. He's one of these players that he's a bit more experienced now, but you can just see that he knows how to pass the ball like, at the right speed and he just he's in the right places. You can see that he's sort of talking to people on the pitch. He just has the good traits that you see in an experienced player. If Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a Rolls-Royce of a player, Alex, what type of car is Robert Snodgrass? He's a Land Rover, I reckon. Ooh, agricultural. Yeah, cross-country. I think he's reliable. A reliable car across different terrain. So I would have gone for a Volvo if it's reliable. I'd say Volvos are more safe, to be honest with you. You know, if, if you get a crash with a Volvo, I think your odds on favourites to come out better than the other car. There you go. <laughs> this get podcast isn't sponsored by Volvo, just to qualify. <laughs> if you, if you're after long life, if, you, if you're looking into longevity, get a Volvo. Get a Volvo, not a Robert Snodgrass. Let's move on then from this last couple of games. Arsenal 6-0, whatever. Peterborough 1-0, brilliant. So let's move on to where we started this podcast in a state of pain and disbelief over our deadline day activity. I guess we do get sucked in in all reality every season. We all want players to come in. It's funny for me how quickly the flavour of a season can change. Obviously, we've started off amazing. We're getting wins. We haven't been beaten in the league yet. And we're playing exciting, attacking, aggressive football. And yet all it takes is for us not to have anything actively happening on deadline day and 
all of a sudden there's a few fractures starting to show in the veneer we start to feel a little less confident everyone's kind of suddenly worried about how the season might unfold and so when on social media last night we weren't kind of pursuing any of these little transfer stories that popped up and all of the journalists that are usually attached to the Albion are kind of saying no nothing to report here don't listen to this rumour and business is all done, they've shut up sharp, everyone's gone home, the lights are off and all of these kind of stories. We're all kind of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. Guys, do we need to relax? Should we be panicking? Should we be worried about all the lack of debt? Or do you think that the business we've conducted so far is going to be enough just to see us across the line anyway? I don't know, to be honest. I think that all depends on if we do get injuries. If we don't get any injuries or we have small amount of injuries and we don't have any long-term injuries, I think we will be all right with the players we brought in. We've got some of the older players off the wage bill, but I still think we're missing two players and it wasn't hard to get. There's some We could still sign people. There's some freeze out there, so I don't know if it's all off at the moment. Yeah, perhaps it would be helpful at this stage if I present to you the transfers that we have conducted. We've brought in Adam Reach, Alex Mowat, both on freeze. We've gotten low moves for Matt Clark, Jordan Hugel, Jason Malumbi, and according to our notes, Matt Clark again. And I'm assuming that's probably more of a mix-up in our notes and Kevin Castro rather than two Matt Clarks is where we conducted a bit of business this season although two Matt Clarks that's not a bad move if there's any way we could have cloned Matt Clark so that in effect we'd have a backup for injuries or potentially just play both there's potentially an idea there not sure how that would affect FFP and whatnot and our outgoings were Pereira, Harper, Higazi, Gibbs, Lonergan, Grzyski, Carl Edwards, Charlie Austin, Lee Peltier, Sam Field, Romain Soyans, HRK, and Brana Slavovanovic. So there's a big chunk of players, 13 players out, six in. Overall, would you say that it's been a good transfer window? Obviously, there were some gaps we identified. They have been filled to some extent. Jason Malumbi has obviously been brought in on loan from Brighton who fulfills a kind of central midfield dynamo role. Jordan Hugel, as we said, played at the weekend. He's been brought in as a centre forward. Those were the two main positions that everyone's seen to highlight. And yet now that we've brought players in, would it be fair to say that the players we've brought in are underwhelming in those positions? Question mark. So I think our transfer business has been okay. I've not been overwhelmed by it. You know, we brought in six players. None of them we haven't paid any money for. Alex Mowat looks like the real deal. You know, other players, yeah, you know, they look like they could be promotion winning players. But then you look at the players out, 13, there's a lot of dead wood there that, that we've got rid of. Uh, you know, a lot of wage with Frida. Potentially made some money on Pereira. That's 16 odd million. And you kind of think, you know, should we have spent some of that money? But, you know, we're going through unprecedented times now, aren't we, with COVID-19 and you know, we didn't have any fans in the stadium last season. Now, that's going to have a hit on the uh, the finances. Perhaps as well, they're, they're sort of seeing the lay of the land and they might invest more in the January transfer window. You kind of, you want more, 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 but then it's, you know, Ishmael seems pretty content. Got enough squad depth, I think. Got a, a younger squad now, playing a different style of football as well, which kind of lends more towards like a younger player with more energy. You know, I think it could have gone better. I think we could have, you know, bought that marquee player for like eight mil. Yeah. Brought Maitland Niles back in or, you know, had a cheeky bring back Rondon or, you know, we could have done something a bit more marquee. But I think overall, I think I'm quite content. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head absolutely there. I think the one thing we lack is the marquee signing, the thing that fans run to the 
club shop to get printed on the back of their shirt that kind of one that generates the excitement and the frenzy i think overall our business is good and there seems to be loads of things at intention in terms of the way people talk about transfers but then held against different parts of the club like everyone's always this massive desire to see investment in the youth and academy prospects being allowed to play in the first team but then at the same time people want to buy players in from abroad or spend millions and millions of pounds on the first team squad that means that these players aren't ever going to get an opportunity and then everyone's scratching their heads wondering why players don't get a chance in the first team and it's because if you spend 15 million pound on an attack you're going to have to play him over some kid that's never kicked a ball a professional game at all you're going to have to pick one of those two players and the money talks at the end of the day the other thing is that I think about this transfer window is from day one Valishmal has said we're not going to necessarily go out and splash the cash we're just going to make sure we get players who suit the way we play and at every interview at every point during this process of transfer window he's kind of reiterated that sentiment there's been a couple of occasions where he's denied that we're doing any business and the next thing Jason Malumby pops up and now I don't know whether that catches him off guard or he's just being cute in the press but more often than not the party line coming out of the Albion camp since day one of the transfer window has been we're not going to splash the cash we're just going to make sure we get the right players and in fairness to them that's all they've done I just think that most of us are hoping that on transfer deadline day it's all some elaborate ruse because really we've got they've got like limousines lined up to enter the eastern car park to do kind of crazy medicals yeah I think I think the question you asked at the start was is it underwhelming and I think our transfers in is unknown I think we'll find out obviously over the course of the season if it was the right thing, and we'll find out in January if we go out and splash the cash. But I thought to myself yesterday when uh, Val put something on Twitter about probably about, I think it was like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, where he's, he's walking in Germany up some hills. So I knew nothing was happening, really. I think he likes to be involved and stuff like that. So I think it was going to be a dead day anyway after that uh, picture, lovely picture by the way. Um, I was going to say, I lovely. thought that was like one of these beautiful stock images of a landscape. That was actually Val... Yeah, that's no, so it. You went for a walk. Oh, just a stroll up Mont Blanc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think I just think there's no point in having a go. It might be the best ever transfer window we've ever had with not spending any money. And these players might be unreal. You know, Jason Malumbi, bit unknown. Played for Millwall last season. The Republic of Ireland's um, international team. So he's got to be all right. You know, he's got to be all right. And, and if Val likes him, I like him. Imagine you're Valerian Ishmael. <laughs> it's transfer deadline day. And rather than swept up in the franticness of the rat race of pursuing transfer after transfer, you're walking through a forest glade. In the black forest, midnight creatures and twilight twinkles all around you. The woodland creatures, you hear them in the trees. The gentle breeze flows past you. Everyone else is panicking, but you are not, because you are Valerian Ishmael, and we are trusting the process. And open your eyes, and we're back again. A spiritual journey, a meditation, a guided deep thought from the Hawthorns Debate Club. Becoming a staple, I find it very relaxing and encouraging, and I hope you do too. I think as far as this transfer window's concerned, I think we have in the board's mind enough presently in the squad 
and in the first team to be promoted. I think one of the things that I've discussed at length with my dad about this issue of not spending the cash is I think when we were linked to players like DK, they are great players for the championship and they've proven at championship level, but I'm not sure how much money they want to spend when in 12 months time they might have to replace these players. So £8 million on a loan fee for DK might be great, but in 12 months' time, if it's just £8 million dead money and we get promoted anyway, I feel like they're being a bit more coy. So I think what Alex said about them waiting to see how the land lies in January and then if necessary, we need a little extra push, I think we'll find we'll spend a bit more money then. If not, if we're well ahead with Fulham, I think they'll just stick. So our net spend was zero, as we've already said. Kind of seems funny, considering at the very start of the transfer window, we had this big discussion and there was a lot of kind of speculation over what this phrase competitive budget might have meant. Alex has cynically wrote in the notes. Can I say cynically, Al, that it was a ploy? Yeah, you said it it all right to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's out there now, mate. But it was a ploy to get more people in for season tickets. I don't know. And this question that I said at the start, where has all this Pereira money gone? And I suppose there's a few questions hanging over the club. And as Alex said, with COVID and stuff and the uncertainty of the financial situation around football in general, perhaps it's being put to use elsewhere. In other deadline day news, Jovan Malcolm joined Accrington Stanley on loan. He's one of our academy graduates. Zahore was made available for sale. There was even rumours at the end of last week that Semi Ajayi was going to be made available for transfer. However, obviously with his goal at the weekend and his contribution in the absence of Matt Clark and watching tonight's games, it looks like Dara Shea's picked up a bit of a knock in the game against Portugal for the Republic of Ireland. Saido Berahino made a return to English football. Joining Sheffield Wednesday. Any thoughts? Fair play to him. Hope he gets his career back on track. Wouldn't hold anything against him. And I think Darren Moore is the person to do that for him. Yeah, like an arm around the shoulder kind of guy. Yeah. There's a kind of sad part in our notes here where Alex has simply wrote Ainsley, Maitland, Niles. Al, tell us how you're feeling, mate. You seem to be on mute. Is that is that sad? Yeah, <laughs> he's speechless. Can you hear me? Can you hear me yeah. now? We can, mate. Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Um, there was a small part of me with the Berahino uh, to Sheffield Wednesday. There was I was kind of hoping that we'd sign him and then he'd prove himself and like he'd come back the player that he was before all that transfer nonsense with Tottenham uh, and him leaving us. So there's a small part of me that, that would have loved him to come back and then do well. Wishful thinking. But in terms of Ainsley Maitland Niles, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it. it's funny we've kind of talked about this whole transfer window and we've already spoken about two of the players without really saying hello and introducing ourselves to Jordan Hugel Alex can you feed us any information about Mr Hugel right now from Alex's research on Wikipedia corner right then so do you two want to have a guess at how tall Hugel is six foot one (laughs) six ten He's six foot, so he's actually quite small, really. He's, a, he's an inch smaller than we like to see around here. Yeah, um, that's blown still... up our algorithm about what we expected Valish Mail's choice strikers would be. Yeah, he's, he was born in Middlesbrough, so he's a northerner. So he's, he must be a hardy character. I don't want to stereotype, but most northerners are quite hardy due to the climate up north. You know, his, his, his previous 
clubs include Norwich City, where he scored four goals in 31 appearances. He was on loan at QPR, where he scored 13 goals in 39. And then he was on loan at Middlesbrough, where he scored six in 37. 29 years old now. So, yeah, I think that's everything that I'm going to share with you. I think, I think on, the, on the, the kind of real interesting thread from all of that beautiful research and statistics i don't know how you managed to just get such a a rich and vivid deep dive every week for us alex but one of the major criticisms of jordan hugel is kind of highlighted quite obviously in your stats breakdown there is that he doesn't seem to be particularly prolific at any point in his entire career he scores goals that's apparent but what one in every three to four games for relatively strong sides especially the Norwich side last week now another caveat to all of that is that he does make an awful lot of appearances off the bench but in a side kind of as a number nine I guess your expectation is a fair amount of clinical finishing and I'm not sure that Jordan Hugel is that type of player but I'm not sure that he's been bought for that type of playing style anyway No I think it's a new style for him um, he's always been that tough centre forward I think we all want to go head to head with him but he has never played under this type of football so hopefully this might bring out that prolific it might bring the prolific striker out it might bring him into more of a hold-up striker and feeding everybody else in. I don't mind that. I don't mind either. But I think this, even though people are underwhelmed by Hugel because he isn't that marquee signing, but hopefully, like I said before, he's unknown for us. And he brings out, well, Val brings out that inner striker, the inner panther of Hugel. Oh, interesting. So we now have, obviously we all know in psychology we have an inner child, but Joe now speculates that we all have an inner panther as well to be revealed and strikers do oh sorry that's what i stand corrected that's brilliant to know for me the whole jordan hugel thing is it is underwhelming there's no two ways of kind of trying to dress it up but i do think in our system he can be effective and i think that's what val wants is to implement his system in the most effective way possible and i think he's a a piece of the puzzle that fits into this jigsaw that albin are trying to construct let's talk about jason malumby let's go back to alex's research and wikipedia corner that's definitely gonna have a jingle under it can i just ask why i'm in a corner I don't want to be in a corner. Nobody puts baby in the corner or Alex. No, thank you. Right then. So how, how tall do you reckon he's? I'm going to hazard a guess at six foot one. <laughs> Five, nine. Okay. There's actually no height to Jason Malumbi. He's a gas entity. No way. <laughs> he's non-corporeal. He's a kind he's of... A, a, he's a ghost. He's an entity rather than a being. Yes. Is uh, he a panther? What kind of animal is, what spirit animal is Jason Lumbijo? Leprechaun, because he's from Ireland. I know that's not an animal, but it's a mythical thing. Okay, cool. Joe's obviously zoological training went out the window there when I asked him that question. I think that could be a nice little section for Joe. Alex brings the statistics and the data side of things, and Joe kind of discovers what player's totem is, or mythical beast, apparently. So, Alex, sorry. Yes, well, he was born in uh, Capaquin in Ireland. His middle name's Patrick, as you might come to expect with an Irish lad. Sure enough. He's 22 years old, so he's still, you know, he's still quite young. Played at Preston North End on loan, making 16 appearances. Played at Millwall on loan, also 40 appearances. Doesn't score many goals, 
and he's he's played throughout the age groups for Republic of Ireland. So you yeah. know he's a very steady player. Looks good. I think I think it'd be interesting to see how good he is. He had a good season with Millwall last season, playing forty games, and they nearly broke into the playoffs. So he can't be half uh, bad, can he? So I don't think he's going to be a starter. I think he's going to be one of those to rotate, maybe with Livermore, mm. and maybe he becomes that player who works with Mowat. And Livermore may drop to the bench and he might be the rotational player. Hopefully he brings out different style in our midfield. I a believe. leprechaun style. A leprechaun style. With a shillelagh. I think, a bit of think, Irish look. Yeah, well, gosh, we'd need some of that, I think, in our midfield if it's going to kind of even stay in the field with the amount of yellow cards they're picking up. I think one of the clips that's doing the rounds about Jason Malumbi is this goal where he's such really aggressively pressing the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper gives the ball away and the Millwall attacker rolls the ball into the back of the net and when I saw that I was like I kind of get why Val wants this guy um, so hopefully it's kind of just a square peg in a square hole kind of situation as far as Jason Malumbi is concerned so let's round up a little bit of news quickly around the club we've had the October fixtures selected by Sky which means that we'll be on TV a fair amount I think we're proving quite popular with Sky and just to an update in terms of our loanies, Callum Morton obviously went out on loan to Fleetwood and he bagged himself a perfect hat-trick. So you can go and check that out. I think it's on Twitter. Some of the goals are at least. And I met Richard Sneakers on Friday at a football presentation and he really, really was lovely. I kind of bottled telling him about the podcast. I don't know why, but ultimately... Uh, and the boys are both shaking their heads at me in disappointment there. But I didn't want to be like a fanboy or trying to push something on him. So Richard Sneakers will not be featuring on the podcast. No, I prefer that style, to be honest with you, Jamie. I think we, we, we're not going to be those um, fanboys kind of... Groupies. We're, yeah, we're men amongst them. You know, we, I put us as on a, a similar sort of pedestal to the likes of Richard Sneakers and Albion Legends. Absolutely. We're complete A-listers alongside the likes of Richard Sneakers and co. So, yeah, I didn't tell him. So um, if Richard Sneakers is listening to this now, I'm sorry, Richard, that I didn't reveal to you that you're, in fact, talking to one of the members of the Hawthorns Debate Club. To be honest, Jamie, I'd have expected him to kind of asked you if he could come on. Um, well, he did quite like my hair, actually, which was really kind of a nice moment. And my son has also got kind of shoulder-length hair, not dissimilar to Richard Sneakers in his heyday. Can I just say as well, actually, Rich Sneakers, I absolutely idolised him as a kid. And he is such a lovely man. He is so friendly. It's so much time for everyone at this presentation. And, and you know, sometimes when you're talking to people who kind of say, never meet your heroes, this guy is an advert for the complete opposite of that. Like, if your heroes are like Richard Sneakers, you should meet them because he's lovely and he's really friendly. So thank you, Richard Sneakers, for being lovely. Full stop. So obviously now we find ourselves coming into international break. Can I just have it on record right now with you two and the listeners that I hate international break? And if you're a person who puts country ahead of club, you're no longer welcome at the Hawthorns Debate Club, as far as I'm concerned. These two might counteract that, but I really can't stand international football. I can't believe there's already an international break this early into the season. I know there always is but it's berserk to me. I totally agree. There's one in October as well, which is oh ridiculous. Oh my goodness, again. get out of my life, international yeah. breaks. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah, but that does mean that obviously there's a little bit less to talk about in terms of upcoming stuff, but 
we will kind of piggyback next week's episode off the end of this conversation here and we can preview the upcoming games and we'll tease that that is going to be Millwall not till Saturday the 11th of September so we've got ages to wait before we next see the beautiful baggies in action again shall we end it there shall we begin to wrap a bow around this or land it or land it Orlando it <laughs> Orlando magic it very good right so that means we've probably said enough if not it all as we like to say on this podcast so that all that remains for me to say is to look to my dear friend Alex and say thank you Alex cheers and to also look at Joe and say thank you as well thank you terrifying <laughs> You're not, can you stop looking at us, please, Jamie? It's the staring, like the wide-eyed staring. And to you listeners also, thank you for listening to the podcast this week, and we will see you next week.